Welcome to The Lisa Show. We've all experienced the drowsy mornings and lack of patience after getting a bad night's sleep. But did you know that sleeping poorly actually affects a lot more than you'd think, including your relationships? Dr. Chris Winter, owner of Charlottesville Neurology and Sleep Medicine Clinic, joins us today to share how fixing the way we sleep improves many aspects of our lives, including our relationships. Welcome, Dr. Winter. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate it. Now, you've been involved in sleep research for over 25 years. What do you tell people is the biggest benefit of getting a good night's sleep? Oh, that's hard. I don't (laughs) think I've ever been asked the number one benefit. I mean, I think the number one benefit is just is that you mentally and and physically just feel better. So I think from that from that place. All other things flow. When I feel energetic, I don't seek energy from sodas or bad drinks. When I feel energetic, I tend to want to exercise instead of saying, you know what, I'm so tired, I'm just going to skip it today. You know, when I feel better, I interact with people in a more favorable way rather than being irritated or quick to being frustrated. So it just, I don't know, it's like a little, it's like a little tree or a little seed. You know, as it kind of pops up, it kind of branches out. So to me, you know, when you sleep well, it's like this foundation and all these other little sort of things blossom from it. So I don't know. It's, that's, a, that's, a tough, that's a tough choice to figure out what's, what's the most important, I guess. Well, and, and in the introduction, I introduced it as affecting your relationships. So let's talk about that, too, about ways that, that sleep affects how we deal with, um, with other people. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it, it does it in a variety of ways. And we, we kind of referred to just recently, you know, just, just now, you know, I think that when you're having difficulty with your um, sleep, you're, you become more irritable. Um, I, I think that you lose patience. I don't think you listen quite as well. Mm. Um, and then you know, the other thing that's really interesting, too, is that research has shown that when you're um, not sleeping well, you tend to misinterpret sort of cues that other people are giving you, maybe a tone in somebody's voice that you might be um, upset or irritated or things of that nature. So to me, um, you know, it, it just kind of goes full circle. You, you, you don't really know what you're saying. You're not really misinterpreting yourself. One time I was on call, I remember staying up all night when I was in the hospital and came home and mm-hmm. I don't know, after about an hour of being home, my wife said, you should just go back to the hospital if this is how you're going to act. And in my view, <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking, I'm, I'm fine. Like, what am I? I'm, I'm perfectly happy right now. Like, I'm, I don't know what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm certain she was right. So I, I just think it, it, it dampens all the things that we need to effectively interact with one another. It's fascinating to me as I hear, hear you talking about what sleep affects. So follow me down this chain. I get a bad night's sleep, so then tomorrow I have to maybe eat a little bit crummy, um, you know, things like the energy drinks or a soda with a lot of caffeine. So then I feel like I'm overweight, so then I have some self-hate, and then I get around the people that I love, and I'm irritable because of how I'm feeling about myself, and then, you know, maybe I have a fight or something like that, and then I soothe myself with eating, so then I eat more, (laughs) and then I don't get to bed, you know, tomorrow night because I'm stressed about that I didn't do the exercise that I needed to or that I've impacted my relationship in some sort of negative way. And it just continues and perpetuates itself to some real problems. It does. And, and people talk about that a lot, like a metabolic web or um, um, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of sort of interconnectivity to diseases, um, diabetes, obesity, sleep apnea, um, high blood pressure, heart attack, stroke. So it's just like you said. And, and the great thing about sleep is, it's such a modifiable risk factor. I mean, unlike cholesterol, which, number one, is difficult for people to manipulate. Number two, there's a lot of debate as to what it even means. And then number three, when you do manipulate it, you don't feel better. I've never met anybody who says, God, my, you know, my cholesterol has come down a little bit. I feel amazing. Like, you don't. You just take the, the, the lab's word for it. Oh, okay, I'm that number now. I used to be that other number, but I guess that's good, right? You know, so... The great thing about sleep is it's modifiable, and when you fix it, it is self-reinforcing. So you're absolutely right. I mean, all those things you described 
can really start to stem from the poor sleep and sort of perpetuate the things that make you sleep poorly. So when you're looking at people in this kind of downward spiral, how do we arrest the descent of the individual who's gaining weight to beat the band and their blood pressure is now, they're taking three or four drugs to control it and they just got a heart stent and there's some AFib that's crept into the mix and you know a little bit of chest pain. Well, it's sleep. And that's why it's so frustrating when you see patients who are, 438 pounds and three different blood pressure medications already had two heart attacks and you're kind of like where was your doctor with the whole sleep apnea thing about five years ago when it should have been very apparent that you had it because you just had your sleep study two nights ago and you stopped breathing 138 times an hour like that didn't happen yesterday like that's been brewing and building for years now probably and so yeah it, it is it's nice when people can kind of understand that, you know, getting in there and fixing that sleep can really pay dividends in not only the way you feel tomorrow, but your health two years from now. So the million dollar question is then how can we better our sleeping habits? I mean, I think the first thing about sleep is just understanding it better. There's still a lot of misinformation about sleep and, you know, the person who's struggling with their sleep thinks I'm going to get this piece of plastic that plugs into my phone and, and it's going to fix my sleep problem. So, I, you know, it's just kind of a you know, it's a fun time to be in sleep because there's a lot of interest in the the subject. People love to talk about sleep in the brain for sure. You know, mm-hmm. other doctors who like take care of the spleen and stuff. You know, nobody puts the spleen on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah, you know, yeah. Mysteries of the spleen. Ooh. <laughs> no. Um, so I like to oh, talk about sleep. Spleen it's kind researchers. of sexy and exciting. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Uh, so you know, the nice thing. So it's a nice time to be a part. But it's also it's kind of a wild west show. I mean, in terms of the number, the volume of products and mattresses and sleepwear and electronics that monitor your sleep. I mean, I think for the average consumer, it is a bit overwhelming. So I think that, you know, kind of trying to figure out and establish a good fundamental base of knowledge about sleep is very important. What does it mean when somebody has deep sleep or dream sleep? And if somebody says to you at work, oh, it's been you know, six weeks and I just can't sleep, what does that mean? Does that really mean that for the last six weeks they're not sleeping? And you know, what does insomnia really look like and what does it really signify? And what does it mean if you can't stay awake without walking around during a meeting um, in terms of your sleep health? So all those things to me are, are really important because sleep is the one thing in our life that we experience on a day-to-day basis, but we ourselves have very little insight into it, you know, which is always worry about people who live by themselves. They can be doing all kinds of crazy things at night and have nobody there to say, wow, there's something really wrong with your sleep. You need to right. take care of it because you're sleeping there with your cat or your dog. So to me, I think step one is getting you know, information. Step number two is don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. You, know, you see your primary care doctor once every year, six months or whatever. Talk to him or her about, hey, you know, I've been reading about my sleep and I'm always tired. What would you think about a sleep study or better yet, me going to see a sleep expert? Um, it's amazing to me. You know, how many patients, even in 2019, have to kind of advocate for themselves that way? You know, why did you come here? Well, I've been asking my doctor for the last three years to come, and he or she finally, you know, agreed to the consultation, which blows my mind. What doctor is saying no? (laughs) I don't think you need a sleep doctor. I'm going to go out on this limb and say no. You know, anybody who wants a test in my clinic, they can have it. Now, I might tell them, look, I think it's a very good chance it's going to be negative and cost you a lot of money, but... In the end, it's your health, um, and we're, we need to be sort of, you know, kind of helping modulate your pathway, but not dictating it, for heaven's sakes. And yeah. so it's always really fun to me when those people come back and have horrible sleep problems. They get to go back to their primary care doctor and say, see, I told you so. <laughs> you know? In and your face, it, Once that happens, once they usually don't block <laughs> it anymore. We're talking with uh, Dr. Chris Winter about uh, sleep, the importance of it, how it affects literally every part of our life. Um, and, and one thing, uh, I'm going to be married here in the in the next month, I guess I should say. Um, and one of the things that I think is is difficult is when you start to have sleep and there's a partner. Walk through some of the things that, that partnerships can be talking about in order to have better sleep. Yeah, I think the, the the two big things are, you know, the partner's individual sleep quality. You know, you're kind of a quiet sleeper. You kind of sit there and don't move too much during the night. Or you somebody thrashes around, kicks, covers on, covers off. 
The other thing, too, is timing. I think that's often sort of overlooked. Are you a night owl? Are you a morning person? Or or perhaps are you a night worker and your partner is a day worker? So those types of things that the scheduling of sleep can be kind of an issue. I'm a real night owl. My wife's a morning person. And I remember when we were married and we were down in Atlanta in medical school, it was kind of an issue. Like I wanted to stay up and study and she didn't like to go to bed late, and she didn't like it when I would come to bed late because I would wake her up. So mm-hmm. there was this sort of, you know, kind of this little meeting of the minds here. Oh, what are we going to do here? I can't go to bed at 8 o'clock. I'll, I'll never pass my exams, and <laughs> and I don't really want to get up at, you know, 6 in the morning, go buy arugula at the farmer's market. I'd like to sleep in. So <laughs> I, I think it's probably a good idea to talk about those things a little bit. And, you know, maybe since you're kind of thinking about this so far ahead of time, you could even work something like that into your vowels. You know, just kind of slide it in there. You know, we, will, we will not go to bed before 10 o'clock yeah. and, you know, kind of thing. I mean, we, technically we will watch this Saturday is... Night Live on the weekends. <laughs> Making this a part of my vows makes this a part of the verbal contract. So be very right. cautious when you that's say right. I do. I'm saying, yeah, exactly. You just slide it in there. She's not going to interrupt the whole ceremony. What, what, what was that about? No. Shut <laughs> alive? Wait a second. <laughs> she'll, she'll go with it. Are there ways to sync up your sleeping habits with, with that of your partners? There are. And we call that chronotype. You're your night person, day person. There's ways to do it. Uh, it does take a little effort. Um, so, you know, one of the more difficult uh, patients we see in the clinic is that your know, mother and father have both come, which is always an interesting sign. And then the teenager's there and clearly does not look like he wants to be in my office. And so generally that means teenager likes to stay up till four o'clock in the morning and they're having trouble getting him up for school. And he's got, you know, 63 tardies in the first half of the year. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, you know, I always tell the parents, look, he's not going to do anything differently until it matters to him. Um, and I probably would have been the same way. You know, at some point you get to medical school and they're like, look, if you don't show up, we're going to let you go and we're going to find somebody else to take your spot. So it's yep. up to you. We don't really care. So, you know, we always joke, you know, if you're having trouble with that kind of situation, get married, have a couple kids, and it goes away completely. <laughs> um, so, But for him, he's got a permissive household. So to me, if you can do it, you know, basically exercise timing, making sure you're getting up at the same time every day and trying to get a little exercise in, light exposure at certain times during the day, being thoughtful about the timing of your meals, um, even the lighting of your, your home can make a big difference in terms of moving that circadian rhythm to either be a little bit later hmm. if you're more of a morning person or trying to dial it back a little bit. Um, so you, you can certainly do those types of things. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit around this issue, but what are the, the main things get, that get in the way of us getting a good night's sleep that, that could be avoided? Um, I think the, the first, um, despite the, 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 the motivation for me to say electronics, is our own understanding and anxiety about sleep. I think without a doubt that's probably big, people's biggest hurdles, you know, Tonight, all three of us will get into bed at some some point, and and maybe we'll sleep, and maybe we won't. How do you feel about those two scenarios? You know, I can tell you personally, if I get in bed at night and fall asleep, that's awesome. If I don't, I, I really don't care. I, I don't mind being in bed awake. I like to sit there and think about stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, articles or celebrity crushes, you know, whatever. Like it's, just, <laughs> it's not a it's not a negative. It's a nice, comfortable bed. My wife's right there beside me. I've got some food in the cupboard at 60, you know, 66 degrees. It's awesome. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So to me, you know, that, that mental obstacle, um, there's a lot of people who think about being in bed awake as being sort of a nightmare situation. And if you don't believe me, just go look at my Amazon book reviews. This, this sort out the one-star reviews of my book. They're really an interesting mm. glimpse into the mentality of sleep that some people have. This book is terrible. It's not worth my compost pile. It didn't help me sleep. I'm living a nightmare of unrelently, uh, unrelenting uh, inability to sleep, blah, blah, blah. And, and huh. you know, the stuff they're talking about doesn't really exist in nature. I mean, the idea that people don't sleep does not happen. Yeah. So what are we really talking about? And for most people, it's a very strong anxiety about getting into bed and not achieving unconsciousness quick enough. Um, so to me, that's a huge obstacle hmm. for people. The second are probably electronics and distractions. I mean, when I was a kid, 
NBC, ABC, CBS, and if you turn the antenna right, you might get something on PBS. But there's never anything good on PBS for a kid. <laughs> right. So, you know, TV ended at 11:30, 12 o'clock at night, and that was it. You know, so now, like, I mean, if I'd have been a kid, you said, "Look, you can watch any Star Wars movie you want anytime, <laughs> anytime. on this little portable TV you can keep in your bed. Like, forget about it." So. Right. Now, we've got kids, and, you know, to me, that's a huge challenge. The athletes I work with, it's a huge challenge. I mean, not only do you have this phone in your bed, but everybody in the world's tweeting about your performance last Saturday. Mm -hmm. So, to me, you know, really trying to establish good hygiene about electronics and and media and things of that nature is extremely important. Your phone should be plugged up in your kitchen, not in your bedroom. Um, that, That alone can make people feel a whole lot better. But just... You know, trying to get away from the anxiety of, oh, my gosh, but when it's plugged up in the kitchen, I'm wondering who's calling me, who's texting me. Do I have a Bed Bath & Beyond coupon that's waiting for me to eat? Like, you know, it's, <laughs> when does it expire? Kind of things people, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's the kind of things people talk about. So I think those two things are tremendous obstacles. And then, you know, just good nutrition, good exercise, good scheduling. You know, hey, you have a bad night of sleep. That's okay. But, you know, does that alter your next day? Like you were talking about earlier, you skip the gym, you take a nap. Yeah. And now it's time to go to bed, you know, Tuesday night and you can't fall asleep because you took a you know, three-hour nap because of what happened Monday night. So right. those things I think are really important, too. Thank you for being with us, uh, Dr. Chris Winter. He is the author of the book, The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It. And have definitely given us some great tips on how we can better our sleep and how we can help it positively affect our relationship. that working in teams can sometimes be difficult with so many different personalities and opinions. Why are you looking at me when I'm, you do it? with not. a chuckle in your voice? We work very well I together. I know, but not all teams have this kind of synergy, Richie. So it's easy to focus on the negative. I think did we, I was one of those kids that when it was like group project time in school, I was actually excited because I thought it would be fun. But then by the end, I'm like the one that's like, okay, guys, we really need to stick to this outline yeah. and, and ended up doing maybe a little bit more uh, than my share of work. And, and I know that, that that continues in different business situations, not in the one that I'm in now, though. I loved the group part of the group project. I didn't like the project yeah, part I, I of fi- the group I project. <laughs> well, we've invited friend of the show, all around wonderful human being, Jeanette Bennett, uh, who is also the founder and editor-in-chief at Bennett Communications here, to talk about how we can work together at Teams, because this is something that she does every day. Hey, welcome. Good morning. Thanks for Good being morning. Good morning. Thanks for letting me be part of the team. Well, um, I, I'm going to just go ahead and make a huge assumption that you were that person when you did group projects in school, in college and beyond that that did the majority of the work, aren't you? <laughs> How is it that everybody feels like they did the majority of the work? <laughs> that math doesn't work out. <laughs> uh, to clear the record, I know I did not do the majority okay. yeah. of so the work. So there's, there's one person. Uh, yeah, I was like you. I, I kind of dreaded it because I think, I think they are difficult. You know, I'm an independent person and in some ways an introvert, and so I like to work alone. But the thing about groups and teams is that that's a skill you have to learn in order to succeed in business and in life because truly teams are the way you accomplish big things. Okay, so what are what are some characteristics of uh, an effective team? A team that is just killing it and really working well together. Right. So I think every effective team needs a great leader, but then that leader also needs teammates that are willing to fall in with the vision and contribute. And so I think some of the um, attributes of an effective team are that everybody knows their roles. So communication has to be clear, and then there has to be um, gratitude for everybody's contributions. And I think perhaps the key thing is you all have to be pulling the same direction. Yeah. You know, if someone's pulling the, the hand cart, so to speak, backwards, <laughs> it affects everybody. <laughs> and so for everybody to pull the right direction in the same direction, it takes that clear vision and leadership and then everybody's buy in. OK, so do you have can give us some examples then of, of what a good team 
can accomplish that's more than what like a really motivated individual could do. Right. So one of the CEOs that I interviewed, he talked about how if someone thinks the same way he does and has the same opinions, then only one of them is needed. And that's always kind of stuck with me because, you know, if we all think the same, we're not going to have new ideas brought to the table and have our ideas expanded. And so one of the things that I love about teams is that everybody brings a new thought, a new experience. So they've had a different background. They grew up in a different family. They've had different jobs. They maybe have a different skill set. And when you bring all those to the team and everybody can appreciate the differences instead of resenting them, then you're going to refine your ideas over time and accomplish more. And so the effective teams that I've been part of, whether it's church or business or in family, everybody brings something different to the table and it takes everybody. And it's like you feel like you're in this huddle almost like, yay, go team. Let's go. You know, let's get out on the line. Let's do this thing. And everybody lines up, whether they're good at the creative part or the work part or the words or the look or the food or whatever it is that's needed on the team. Everybody can contribute. Uh, You know, but it is difficult. That's not to say that um, there aren't challenges because everybody has a different work space speed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are different communication patterns. You might have a person who does more talking than they have content. <laughs> and then you have others that... <laughs> that is a nice way to put that. <laughs> Was that good? Was that subtle? And then you have people who have great ideas but don't know how to articulate them. And, and all of those things happen in a team, and that's the challenge but also the beauty of it. So how do you then motivate individuals to all feel valued so that they, you know, don't just say, well, so-and-so is going to take over anyway, you know, and so that they all feel like their individual, um, uh, you know, uh, task Mm -hmm. or expertise, whatever they're in charge of, is valued? Right. So I think that's where a leader comes in. But it's it's not just the leader who has to do this. It's everybody who needs to be this way. But but, uh, we need to be appreciative and understanding of what each other needs and values. So for example, on a work team, when you have different generations coming together, that can be challenging because millennials who, you know, there's all these stereotypes, but a lot of them happen to be true. They really value flexibility. You know, they want, I noticed that my younger team members, you know, they want to be able to kind of come and go. They want to have some freedom. And I appreciate that and understand that. And so when that's allowed on the team and valued, not just allowed, but like we see the strengths and whatever they're they're motivated by, that can add to the team where other team members might be motivated by praise or loyalty. And so I think it's good to understand each other. So I think a good team needs to um, be bonded outside of what they're a team for. So if you're a team in a business setting or in a church setting, it's good to have those social experiences or any kind of offline experience that helps you understand each other, laugh, have some memories, have some common jokes so that you can pull on those things in times of, of stress or busyness. Um, talk a little bit about some successful teams that you have been a part of and what you've been able to accomplish. Okay. So uh, the first one that comes to mind is my business team. So we produce a lot of magazines, Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q, Utah Valley Bride. And the thing that I love about uh, working as a team is that it truly takes a team. I mean, I could never do a magazine all by myself. You know, I, I don't want to take all the photos. I don't have all the skills to design it. And so we truly need each other. And so I love uh, being on a team where... Before we come together to meet about a project, the agenda goes out, right? So this is what we're going to talk about. Everybody come prepared. For example, next year's our our magazine's 20th anniversary. So I've told everyone coming to an upcoming meeting, Mm -hmm. brainstorm, you know, how we can celebrate this in in word and in events and all of that. Well, my creative team is going to come at it with, here's a logo, here's this and that, where my event people are going to say, what if we did a launch party? And and then I have my... um, my accountant person saying, okay, here's what I think we could budget, you know? And so to be an effective team, you have to start at a place where everybody knows their role and then you contribute from there. There are some big no-nos as far as working with a team. Can you talk about a couple of those? Okay. So uh, (laughs) let's see, where do we start? Okay. Unity is huge. So the opposite of unity, disunity is a major problem. So when you have um, people who are talking bad about each other, either in a meeting or behind each other's backs, that's just going to be a cancer for your team. And that's going to make it so you're pulling different directions. So that is that is a big no, no. Uh, I also feel like a team needs to be a safe place. And so that doesn't mean that every idea that comes to the table is going to be a good one because it's not. But it needs to be safe to throw out those ideas without uh, fear of criticism. So I think as a as a team, you need to create this culture of this is a safe place. Let's hear everybody's ideas. Everybody's loved. Even if we don't 
use your idea or go the direction you're suggesting, that doesn't mean we don't like you, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's incumbent upon everybody on the team to be kind and be respectful. It's also up to us to not play the victim card when we're not, our idea is not selected or we're not chosen as the leader or we're not praised or something. You know, if we start playing the victim card, we start pulling in and we start feeling critical of everyone else around us instead of just moving along and joining with what the team has decided to do. Uh, You know, I think I've been in a lot of meetings (laughs) or in different organizations where everyone is trying to generate creative ideas, Mm -hmm. which is its own thing and and its own topic. So when you're in in a team sort of setting and you want that creativity to be flowing, what's that? What are the best ways to get that out of the team, like in in that flow? Right. One thing that I've done a few times recently, and I think it's really, really kind of fun, is uh, I'll take a sheet of paper, give everybody a sheet of paper, and depending on how much time we have, fold it up into four parts or eight parts, and then have everyone on their own draw a little picture of their idea. So this isn't about art, but it's just a way of visually jotting down four or eight ideas, however many uh, you want to do. And so you're just basically jotting down through, through words or pictures these ideas, different approaches. And especially if you're doing eight, that's a lot of ideas mm-hmm. towards one idea. So you end up kind of doing crazy, kind of weird, funny ideas to fill your paper. Then afterwards, maybe you select three or four you're going to share with the group. And then at that point, everyone shares, kind of points out their picture. Everybody laughs at how bad of an artist everybody is. And then I've given people in the group little stickers, colored stickers, and they can put four, six, whatever, on their favorite ideas on the papers around the table. And then it's a way of narrowing it down. And the thing that I love about this is everybody ends up putting down some safe ideas and some outlandish ideas, and then you get the group talking. And often what I've found that happens is that one of the outlandish kind of silly ideas ends up being the genesis of the idea you end up doing. Really? Because it makes everybody laugh, but then people are like, huh, that actually has some possibilities. I mean, we can't do exactly that. But what if we took that and added it to this safe idea over here, and then that turns into this new new thought? And so this is kind of a combination of working independently and as a group, because everybody gets their moment to mm-hmm. write down their ideas. Mm-hmm. That way, everybody's heard equally in, in this part of the process. Everybody draws four or eight ideas, and, uh, and then they get to share them verbally. And then as a group... You start, um, you start narrowing it down. So that's been kind of a fun thing because that that takes in the talents yeah. of introverts and extroverts, mm-hmm. and and levels the playing field because everybody has good ideas, but not everybody's as good at articulating them. We're talking with Jeanette Bennett about working within teams, uh, and I hate that I always am the one that asks these sort of questions, but I, my mind, I guess, just goes here. You've been in that group where there's that one person who's just not buying into it. Either right. they've had bad, bad experiences in the past mm-hmm. or they're jaded toward the company or whatever, but they're still a part of that team and a part of that group. What do you do right. with those I individuals? Have, I have been in those groups. And I will say, so I was part of a group where, where one person always was super strong on her ideas. And if we didn't gravitate to her ideas, uh, it became tense. You know, and she became kind of pouted. She definitely pouted, became critical, wouldn't buy into anything that wasn't her own idea. And what happened over time is I looked for ways to not invite her to meetings, which is not good. So point number one, don't be that person. Right. Well, because you'll find yourself invited and not be a part of the team as a whole. Unless I'm a job. But that's another. (laughs) That's another show. How much time do we have? Uh, So don't be that person. You know, come to come to the table realizing that um, this is going to be for the good of the team. This isn't about your ego. So point number one, don't be that person. When you do have that person, sometimes I've found that talking to them one-on-one, either before the meeting or after, does help. Just as kind of a really kind reminder of, hey, I'm really excited to hear your ideas, you know, and I'm excited to hear everybody's thoughts on the ideas, and I hope that whatever we decide, that you'll be supportive of. And, uh, you know, that's that can sometimes that can sometimes work. But, you know, it is, it is difficult. And oftentimes if I have a person like that, you know, I'll single them out, maybe in front of the group, and say, what is it about this idea specifically that is challenging for you and how can we overcome it? And try to get them solution-oriented because oh, if yeah. they're in criticism mode, that's not doing anybody any good. And obviously every idea needs to be refined. But if we're just focused on what's wrong, we're not going to 
be able to take action. And forward. so I try to ask those questions. Um, what, what solution? What would you do if you were me? Sometimes I'll say that because as a leader, you know, it's easy to be critical. But what would you do if you were me, honestly? You know, mm. and, uh, and, and so it's good. A good leader will gather feedback, but then a decision does have to be made. And uh, the best teams will unify behind that. And maybe it's good to set that at the front of a meeting or the front of a brainstorming session is just, you know, our goal at the end of this meeting is to be unified <laughs> on our decision and, and just kind of set that out there that we're not going to leave this room till we're all on board. I wonder if that always works, though. And when if you find yourself in situations where you've done the prep, you know, pulled people aside and said, hey, listen, we really need to all come together on this. Right. Everybody's got a clear objective. They know their role. Mm-hmm. Um, but still creating that kind of trust where they can just throw out all of their ideas um, is another thing. Do you have True. other ways that you try to develop that kind of trust in a, in a group or a work setting? Uh, it definitely takes time, I feel like, and uh, also just knowledge. I found that whenever you know a person's story or background, you just love them. You know, once you once you can kind of understand where someone's coming from, it's hard to be to be critical of them because you, you you just love them and you trust them more when you know who they are, and so that is important to get to know each other. Uh, sometimes starting a meeting maybe with a game or with um, uh, everybody share a story or you know a snack, a, snack. a joke, a joke. A joke, a food. I, you know, I think I like the snack idea. Everybody, everybody's a little happier with a little little chocolate or something. You know, that builds trust. So, <laughs> I trust you to bring the right treat. Yeah. for me. Yes. Um, you know, in our social media based culture, sometimes it's hard uh, to find an original idea. Everyone's sort of trying to reinvent True. that same old idea. How mm-hmm. how do you approach that as a group to get fresh ideas and out of the box kind of ideas? Yeah, I think you have to shake it up. You know, so I just held a meeting on the floor um, the other day because I thought we're all sitting. We, you know how everybody gravitates to the same chair? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. In, yeah. in, oh, in yeah. a classroom, a church setting, business setting. So, okay, let's not do that. Let's all <laughs> sit on the floor and just look at it from a different perspective, I think helps. I think uh, as individuals, we need to be uh, proactive about seeking different perspectives. I think travel is a huge one. You know, when you go to some other city and you see them solving everyday problems a different way, you know, signs are worded differently or, you know, the transportation's a little bit different or whatever it is, it kind of opens your mind to that. So I think that's really, really helpful. Uh, I would also encourage members of the team to listen to a podcast they've never heard before, read a magazine they've never read before. Um, There's a conference going on in Salt Lake right now, the United Nations Conference. And one of the reasons I like to go to it is I hear perspectives I had not considered. (laughs) Not that they always jive with how I feel, but it helps me understand things from a different perspective. So as a team lead, I would encourage the team members to seek experiences and people that are way different. And even in different, um, so I'm in publishing, but, but you can get ideas from movies, from music, from different creative arts that are not your own that then can help just tweak what you're doing and uh, to learn things from from other people. You know, so I'm not in the restaurant business, but sometimes when I go to a restaurant and I see the way they've worded the menu or, or organized it or even the customer service that they provide, it helps me think, okay, how would that work in my industry? It's never a perfect fit, but it kind of opens your mind to a little bit different way. So I would encourage people to do that. It sounds like you find inspiration everywhere. Once you're looking for it, you do see it. You know, you see you see lots of different ideas and creativity. Uh, and I think, you know, our world is full of creativity. I kind of wish I could have lived 200 years ago when the world was so different, every country you went to. Now you go and there's always McDonald's and, you know, they're all yeah, watching. Yeah, but also um, vaccines. There is that. And indoor plumbing. I don't want to give that up. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, I appreciate you pointing out how how that, yeah, we are kind of melding into the sort of the same ideas and stuff worldwide. It is nice to be reminded, too, that, that our differences can be um, something that is highlighted and celebrated because it's a, it gives us new creative ideas of problem solving. Yeah, absolutely. And a perfect team would have, if there's 10 people on the team, there would be 10 different perspectives. You know, 10 different skill sets, 10 different perspectives, and they would all be valued. 
Yeah. Uh, Jeanette Bennett, thank you for being here, for helping us talk about working in teams. Uh, this was a great interview, and we'd love for you to be a part of our team. <laughs> we want you on the team. I, I want to be on the team, this winning it. team. Yes. This team, Lisa, the uniforms are spectacular. <laughs> and we always have the best snacks. Oh, really? Yeah. Where, yeah. where are yeah. those? <laughs> uh, Lisa was in charge today. Uh, Jeanette Bennett is the founder and editor-in-chief at Bennett Communications. She works primarily on Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q Magazine, and Prosper Magazine. a long day of work you come home to a dirty house kids screaming which is more work the demands of work your boss your family really everything keeps your co-host you on your toes does the, ever the thought crush your mind that working for yourself would be really nice well today we're talking with Gaina Lynn Condi about what we can do to consider this to see, make sure you know it's right for us. Gaina Lynn is an author, a motivational speaker who's dedicated to helping others find joy in their lives, a friend to the show. Welcome Gaina Lynn, so happy to be here. Um what are the secrets for working for yourself? Cuz I I feel like you've been doing this for a while and that you have some secrets to share with us. Do you know what? I have loved prepping for this um topic because I actually did a lot of research. I actually interviewed quite a few individuals that went out on their own and individuals that are actually providing for their entire family and quit a job to go out on their own, which felt like a little bit of a different layer to the story than what I've experienced. I have been working for myself, Mm -hmm. but I'm not the sole provider for my family. And And does that make a difference psychologically? I think it really does. And I think for individuals that are considering this, I loved hearing the backstories from a few people that I really admire, a few that are feeling really successful and others that are still a work in progress and trying to provide for their families. And so I think that's interesting aspect Hmm. to consider that the courage it takes to break away from a steady paycheck that you know with benefits and give up that security to say, you know what, it's worth the risk, that jumping off the cliff, I, yeah. I really admire. So if your listeners are out there on the fence about this, I hope we share some thoughts that help them like really be clear, but also those that are married to someone or partnering with someone that is making this decision. It's a family experience. So I think the first thing that I learned, and I would attest to this for myself, is that Whatever place you gain inspiration, you need to stay clear on that because it does take courage and you're going to have to keep returning to your why. For some, it may be a faith thing and they feel very directed to do it. Mm -hmm. Another individual I interviewed said he was he experienced a layoff and he was done feeling like there was this big guy behind a screen that controlled his future. He wanted more time with his family. He wanted more money. And even though he knew it was going to be a process, he didn't want to be dependent upon an employer saying, this is your paycheck, because he didn't want to feel that vulnerability anymore. So I think either that you feel really directed or maybe you want more work-life balance. At first, though, please know that everyone I've talked to, it's not that way at the beginning. You're spending a lot of hours. There's no one to hand things off to. It's all on your shoulders. What was your why? My why was very directed, and my why was very um, God-directed. And I feel like um, when I get asked regularly about how I've gotten to this Mm -hmm. place— there's a little part of me like, how do I hand over all of these experiences? So for the people that I talked to, I was really grateful they sat down. I I really had them kind of think it through, and it was good for me to think it through that I I wanted um, to do something purposeful, and so that was my big why. Mm-hmm. But for those that are really saying, not only do I want to do something purposeful, but I need to provide, that courage is amazing to me. Um, one of the individuals I talked to said that um, the – naysayers in your life can get draining. So be careful who you're listening to. There's a lot of people that be like, why do you want to write a book? Why do you want to start that business? Why? Nobody's going to really maybe celebrate you at the beginning. And he attributed this to that vision of being in a bucket with a whole bunch of crabs. If a crab tries to climb out, all the other crabs are pulling you down. 
His suggestion was find someone that's super successful. They're likely the ones that are going to cheer you on because Mm -hmm. they've taken those risks in their lives as well. So be super careful. Nobody's going to say to you, oh, my gosh, I think that's a brilliant idea to quit your job and start a business and and run that risk. But I think um, one individual shared with me it's because it triggers in them this fear. They don't have the courage to do that. They don't. They're just voicing what they think about themselves. Exactly. And maybe you're breaking with family tradition. Maybe everyone in the family did this certain kind of path and you're breaking free from that. So I love the idea of the crabs in the bucket because another individual I talked to said, but then when you're successful, it's funny, those naysayers come back and they kind of almost forget that they criticized (laughs) you at first. And you're the one who's now with, with this freedom to go take a family vacation or you're doing really well or you're sleeping until 10 because you work for yourself and funny all those naysayers have been quieted yeah interesting so i think one of the um one of the big things is is as you know what your why is i asked a few individuals that have created business models that they hadn't done before i'm doing something that there's a lot of speakers there's a lot of authors out there there's a lot of people that are influencers or doing media but i i have had the opportunity to talk to people that are doing something completely new and Hmm. And I've also talked to people that have said, I'm not really into creating a new wheel. I just want to do something better. So look at what the demand is. He gave the example of Tesla and Disneyland. And you, Richie, was talking about Disneyland. Um, Disneyland was not the first theme park. And Tesla wasn't the first electric car. But both those corporations found new ways of doing something better. Stand apart. And so he suggested that if you really feel this desire to be an entrepreneur or go out on your own, look at what the needs are out there. Don't assume you have to create some new widget or some new process Mm -hmm. see what's out there now and can you do it better but I also had the opportunity to talk to people that are like kind of paving a new way and (laughs) they they said be careful that not everyone's going to feel as in love with your idea as you do because you have to have that as your why and I know for me in my work I I had a clear vision and some of it wasn't clear and sometimes I would talk to other people and I was so excited and enthusiastic because it's passionate for me it's my why I want to change the world and they were like yeah good on you. You know, good luck with that. I don't really know why cool. you're getting nice. that excited about that. And so be aware that, especially at the beginning, that you you may be the only one excited, as excited as you are about it. And that's okay. And that's okay because you need to have that fire in your belly to keep you going on the hard days. We're talking with Gainalyn Condi, a friend of the show, about uh, how to start working for yourself, uh, maybe being your own boss and the appeal of that. There are some, um, some typical pitfalls that yeah. people will fall into. Share some of those. Well, one individual said to me, if you're doing something that's based on inventory, don't sink a whole bunch of money into that at first. Like, test the market a little bit. Don't put too much money out. One of the other things is that there's this idea that somehow you have to do everything on your own. Many people I talked to said that that critical place where you've grown enough and you don't necessarily believe you can afford or trust to bring in any employees on you probably need to make that jump because you hit that point and even for me personally I've just made a decision to have hire a personal assistant I just said that publicly and that was a really hard thing but I was juggling too many pieces and I could see that the quality of creation and my passion and my burnout was reaching a level that it was time to bring some someone on to help me. And everyone I've talked to that works for themselves says they reached that point where they had been doing the 14, 16-hour mm-hmm. days, and, and then it became essential that they hire someone. And one of the pitfalls is is you hire a B-level person instead of an A-level person because you're just starting out. Everyone I talked to said, make sure you hire quality people because – they will eventually help you see a vision. They'll call you on your stuff. They'll allow you to go take that vacation so that you can stay creative. And so don't make the don't make the mistake of thinking it always has to be from me all the time because there there there's only so much one individual can do. And if you really want to get to the next place, you need to bring someone on. And so that that I thought was a really important thing because I think even if you're not running your own business and you're a mom, you know, or a dad, stay-at-home dad, and or or you're a caregiver, there's this point in our souls where we all have to say, I need support right now, and I can't do it all on your own. Even if you're the one who created the vision and started the business on your own, you do need to bring people around you. When I hear someone who's starting a new business, I have this idea in my head, and I don't, I'm don't. i not sure where it came from, but, oh, don't don't expect to make a profit for yeah. the first year or two, or, or, you know, and when you do something like speaking or writing, how do you 
set reasonable or realistic goals for making money. Well, and I think that's important. Everyone I talk to, and I think in my own experience, the beginning isn't about profitability. And and I think if you're only doing something based on that, the reality is if you're trying to provide for your family, you have to be thinking about the money. But if you're only doing that as your why, there's a lot of very wealthy people out there that are not happy. And so I think there's there's something to be said about the fact that everyone I talked to said they would never go back to working for someone else, even unless one individual said, unless that same voice within me that said leave said go back, then I would consider partnering some, with someone else. Hmm. The, the benefit of self awareness and and developing skills and some freedom with your family was worth the the not money always on the front end um i like i said i i made sure i talked to people that were really like bringing in the money now and some that are still in that zone of struggle and they all inspired me so much because i think for me my why hasn't ever been about that but it's mm-hmm. been important to start reevaluating at certain times of the year what my value is and and so that I ask for what I feel I'm worth. And I think that's the other thing that's important, that we need to make sure that we know what our value is and that we don't underestimate what we're bringing to the table, whether that's as a product or a service. For In my situation, it's contributing more of a service than it is a product, unless you're buying my book and CD, <laughs> which you're welcome to do that if you'd like. <laughs> So uh, what benefit have you seen working for yourself for you? Well, I think across the board, I feel this way and everyone I've talked to that has owned their own businesses, there is this freedom to say, you know what, right now in my family or in my personal life or with my health, I need to say no to that. And I have that flexibility. The the other part of Mm -hmm. that is when you're first starting out, especially, is you feel like you have to say yes to everything. And I'm reaching a point after about five and a half, six years of working on my own where I am really careful what I say yes and no to. And we've talked about that on this show, that whatever you're saying yes to, you're saying no to something else. So I think one of the biggest benefits is that I do feel directed. I do feel like I'm doing something worthwhile, that I'm trying to share something out in the world that is helping save lives and inspire inspire people. But I think for those that are doing businesses that maybe don't have that as their why, they've said to me, I love that I can sleep in. I love that if my kids are sick, I can stay home that day. I love that I have the flexibility to to take a vacation. Maybe if the first year didn't allow that, it's we're, we're reaching that point. So I would say that's one of the biggest benefits is that it feels personal and it feels directed. Um, someone shared with me that they don't ever want to get back to the place where they're told this is your task and you have to do it. They want to be able to continue problem solving and they like that about being a business owner or working for themselves is that they can see always new problems and they're coming up with creative solutions to solve those problems. It's got to be very satisfying. Talk a little bit about how you can move forward working for yourself when your product is yourself, when your product is your ideas or something that's not a tangible item. So that's definitely more within my wheelhouse. And I think one of the things that I've had to be super careful about is comparisons. It's too easy to go on social media and feel like the market in that, the the field that I'm in is very cluttered. It, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of influencers and bloggers and podcasters and writers and speakers. And we're kind of lumped into this big group. And it's easy for me to get sucked into that. And I think the analogy Brene Brown uses is that she's a swimmer, and when you're swimming, if you just glance for a minute to the to the lane next to you in the pool, you will drift over there. And even though I'm on the freeway with lots of cars that are similar to me, we're all trying to share something unique about us with the world. And I'm not always clear what that is. You know, I mean, honestly, sometimes I get to that point, like, am I making a difference? Is the needle moving? Am I helping the world in any way? Um, that's an important why for me. Um, and usually right about that point where I get desperate for me and my faith, that's usually when I get a letter from someone. That's what I call for the one. And I put the for the ones in a folder and I pull them out when I get to that place because that helps me be clear again what my why is. And maybe that's someone that heard me speak, heard me on TV or radio or read one of my books and w- was helped in some way. But I think that's one of the, the dangers that I have mm-hmm. is that you have to you have to know that you're not um, it's okay that we all have some what similar gifts we do when you're in a certain field there's there's 
there's a familiarity that happens when you meet another podcaster or you talk to another speaker or author. But I think what's beautiful is that um, my voice may not reach someone, but someone else's does. And that's okay. So for my one, that's important for me to keep showing up. And also for me, I need to continually feel like I'm growing and challenging. And that means I have to see where my comfort zones are and try to step out of them. Hmm. Because some of the things I've like, if I stand before 4000 people to speak, that doesn't stress me at all. But there's other things that new messaging or or other areas of of media or writing that next book that I need to feel like I'm constantly growing as well. And that that little uncomfortable feeling is a good place to be, especially if you're messaging in some way, because that connects me with my audience so that I'm coming from an authentic place. I don't have all the answers. I don't have everything figured out. And I'm struggling with my own stuff. So I usually try to go there. Like, what am I struggling with? Is this what other people might be struggling with? And maybe not everyone, but 48-year-old mom. And, you know, I I have different unique challenges. And, and so I try to speak from that place so it's really authentic. So to someone listening to this, that they're kind of on the fence. They're like, yeah. ah, I'm working for the man, but yeah, now but I want to go work with it. I could, but I'm not sure if it makes sense. Right. Give them a, 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 either a couple of steps or a couple of things to consider uh, as to whether or not they should okay. take that leap out. So I would get super clear on your why because you're going to keep returning to that on the hard days when it gets really lean or you're really tired. Expect it to be a lot of work at first. You're building some foundational pieces that it's not going to always feel that way, but give yourself permission. I talked to one individual that said for the first year or two, I had to say no to going out to dinner and going on vacations. But now I'm in year four and I'm saying yes to things that everyone's like, hey, what do you mean? You're going on another vacation. Why do you get to stay home and be with your kids? And so be okay with saying no so you can say yes later. And then I and I would if you're married, make sure your partner is willing to invest in this process because it is a process. And and I think that it is a group effort as a family to know, hey, mom or dad are changing. And so the, the budget's going to change for our family for a while. And instead of doing big vacations, we're going to do staycations and, and have an honest conversation. My family is very invested. They know when I leave the house to go speak or go do media or I'm working on a book deadline, they're sacrificing as well. And so I try to be very clear on our Sunday night meetings when we plan the week that they kind of know what's coming around the corner because I want it to still feel like it's a healthy thing for my family. So those those would be my top three suggestions. So what's next for you? What are your goals coming up? I get to do some traveling and, and have opportunities there. I am working on a children's book and I've never done that. So I'm I'm going to put my words and 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 my fingers to the um, uncomfortable step of going into something <laughs> new. It's a true story, so I'm hoping it works. And and then there's a few other things that I hope have another talk on CD out there in the next few months. So those are my next steps. And and I also am being super careful about saying no to some stuff. My, my daughter at home is getting a little bit older, and I want to make sure I don't miss those opportunities. And so I also really believe in being an example of saying no. And, and I am saying no to certain things so that there is that work-life balance and, and that I'm not saying yes to everything out of fear or anxiety that I have to hustle. That if, you know, I think when you are working for yourself, you're not sure if I say no to this, is there right. going to be never? Be another? Yeah. 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 And so I, I hope I'm an example of both saying yes to the things that are new for me and uncomfortable a little bit, but I'm also saying no to things too, so that I can show up for my family and my health. You've given us a lot to consider, whether we're going to stay put or taking the leap to work for yourself. Thanks for your research and for sharing yeah, those Yeah, it was fun. Ideas. It was fun to, to interview. For all those that tuned in today that I talked to, I they're my heroes. They inspired me the last few weeks as I've talked with them and hearing their stories and their why has really helped me refocus and I hope it inspired someone new. Oh, we appreciate you sharing that information with us. Thanks, Gaina Lynn. Gaina Lynn Condi is the author and motivational speaker, a friend of the show, who works to help find people, to help people rather, find joy in their lives. And you can find her at Gaina Lynn.